episode number 64 of the Metrospective. Pete McCarthy, Tim Britton, happy to be along with you. We have named this one for Joe Christopher, who had his career season in 1964 for the New York Mets. We discussed it last episode, and we'll have uh, plenty to do here as start to, yeah, again, uh, take get used to this new normal that we're all in, of course, and, and have the opportunity to take you away from all of that. Uh, with some New York Mets talk. We'll talk about the best lineup that you could put together in the history of the New York Mets and uh, and much, much more. But, uh, Tim, how are you? Everything okay? Yeah, no uh, no qualms here in uh, in Queens so far. So we could, we could all use some good news. There's no doubt about that. And the Mets shared on their Twitter account a, a one of those fun interactions that reminds you of just how much people care about baseball, about the Mets, and fun to see this back and forth. And if you haven't seen it, go to the Mets Twitter account and you can watch the whole video, but we'll just discuss it uh, very quickly. But a a young woman uh, wrote a social media post about her grandmother, Kathleen, and her grandma received news that she was recently diagnosed with cancer and that she only has weeks to live. And her grandma is devastated by this coronavirus outbreak for myriad reasons apparently but one of the big ones is that there's no Mets baseball and she wants to be able to see another Mets game um well the Mets saw that post and Pete Alonso reached out with a video message and you could see her crying uh with joy at at seeing this message sent to her Luis Rojas the Mets manager called her as well and and really, uh, you know, something something heartwarming that that made you feel good at uh, at a tough time, obviously for everybody, Tim. Yeah, you know, we talk all the time about like how social media can be uh, can have a negative impact on society, and we see that often. But this is one of the really cool times when it when social media does something really good for someone. Uh, you know, you like how would this have happened? in 1975 or something like that to have uh the manager Luis Rojas calling uh grandma Kathleen to have have P. Alonso being able to record a video and send it to her right away uh it, it just reminds you that uh, of the bond that this team has with so many people that I know most of the people that are listening to this in at this period <laughs> in a baseball schedule if you even call it that uh we know you care deeply about this baseball team uh, and it's nice when you see that the team realizes that because uh, I think, you know, you get lost with, you know, with, when you're a player, sometimes you only look at the negative aspects of fans on Twitter or something like that. Uh, so it's nice to see someone recognize just the devotion that people have to the baseball team uh, and to the Mets in particular. Uh, and we've talked about it a lot with Alonzo. Uh, I think we talked about it last podcast with Alonzo, uh, his understanding of the role that he plays uh, for this team and for this fan base, uh, really ahead of his years, beyond his years, uh, in, in terms of, of his his presence on in, in this market. Uh, and it's just a really cool thing to see uh, and, and something to make some people smile at, at what's been a, a really difficult time for a lot of people. Really, at this point, Alonzo should just put on the back of his jersey, gets it. Because it feels like every time we talk about him, anybody talks about him, he gets it, right? I mean, that's that's like the go-to line. And what else are you supposed to say? He just he understands what 
his place in the world is as an athlete, the pedestal that is there, the ability to reach out to people, connect with people, and he seems to take advantage of it in all of the positive ways you could possibly ask for. And uh, what more can you say? We, we've said it over and over about Pete Alonso, but it's been a, a, a tremendous boon for the New York Mets. Now, uh, you mentioned the Internet not, not always has feel good. And, you know, there's some negativity there and uh, probably about 95 percent of it, uh, I believe, Tim, and you can back me up on this, is brought by Mark Carrig, uh, the athletic zone. <laughs> would, would you would you agree with that? He does I mean, supply 95 percent of the tweets on my timeline during during most periods. So <laughs> the, the, the sarcastic nature of it all. Yes, that's Mark Craig. But Mark Craig did uh, have a fun tweet that had a lot of people involved this week, which was, uh, you know, put together the best lineup you possibly can. And you got one game to win. What is the lineup that you're going to put together? Now, being the creative maestro that you are, Tim, you spun it into our wheelhouse here, the New York Mets. So. Uh, you already put out the tweet, uh, so I'll allow you to explain your thought process coming up with the best Mets lineup. The Mets had one game to win, and they could use anybody from their entire history. How would they put together this lineup? Yeah, so I think there are different ways of going about it. You can kind of think of it in terms of uh, guys' overall careers with the Mets. You can think of individual seasons, or you you can think of, I, I mean, I guess you can go down to like individual games, uh, but... Uh, in terms of kind of the the overall career aspect is kind of how I looked at it. So I thought, you know, I I have some kind of weird ways of putting together lineups as as we've talked about. I went leading off. You got Carlos Beltran in center field. I think I think more or less without a doubt the best center fielder the Mets have ever had. Uh, and they haven't really been able to replace him since he left. Then you've got David Wright at third base. Self evident. Uh, at first base, Keith Hernandez hitting third, you know, different kind of third hitter uh, in the modern lineup. Piazza behind the plate, obviously. Uh, Strawberry in right. Then Edgardo Alfonso at second base. Uh, Cleon Jones in left field. I think left field might be the most difficult spot to find someone. But Jones, obviously, such a big part of that 69 team. Uh, he hit 340 that year. And, you know, when I was going through, when we were talking all decade stuff, uh, at the end of last year, he was basically their all-decade left fielder for the 1960s and the 1970s. Uh, then Jose Reyes at shortstop, maybe a couple options there, but Harrelson might be part of that conversation. Uh, and then I think on the mound, uh, if we're, we're going career here, you've got to go with, with the franchise and Tom Seaver. I don't even think, come on, if, if it's an individual season, would you even take the Grom over Seaver? Oh, well, I would probably take Gooden in, eight, Gooden in 85. Is probably okay. the best individual season. I think that's the one you you throw in there. I you know I had some, one guy on on Twitter yeah. said you know just thinking about modern lineups and, and how the game is different now. If you're thinking someone who can get out any hitter from any era, you'd want the more modern guy in Degrom right now. Uh, but I think you know you look at what, what Seaver did for what like 12, 12 years with the Mets. Um, that Degrom would basically have to have the years he just had like for seven more years to catch up to, to, to what oh, Seaver did for them. He's the franchise. I mean, Tom Seaver is just above and beyond. Like, I don't think that Jacob deGrom could ever catch what Tom Seaver was. Never. Yeah. I mean, they, they would have to win several world series. I think with deGrom leading the way, uh, because just to put them on the map, the way Seaver did that, like the, the first great player in Mets history and still the greatest player in Mets history. Yeah, we've talked about DeGrom, that it's a possibility that he could be a Hall of Famer, and I'll, I'll stand by that. I mean, he has a shot now at a Hall of Fame, but it's going to be 
kind of an odd situation because it's probably difficult to imagine him even reaching 200 victories for his career. And I get we're not all using wins in the way that we did in the past. However, that's that's a number that you'd think is kind of a minimum requirement, right? It used to be 300 was that big milestone. Now 250 is an accomplishment, but uh, you know, to even 200 would be asking. He's not even halfway there at this point in his career, and he's already what 32 years old right now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that scales down over time. Uh, you know, with with pitcher statistics in the Hall of Fame, because now we're starting to get into. Where pretty much anyone who's won has everyone who's won 300 games gone in at this point besides Clemens. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if there's anyone out there who's who yeah has yeah they're all to be in. voted in just Clemens. Uh, and so then yeah. I think you've got I think Schilling. I, I don't it's something like 217 wins that he has. Uh, mm-hmm. And if he were to get in, that would be the lowest uh, I think of a starting pitcher. Um, so you're you're still talking about a for. You know, we'd have to to rethink it's how it's going to be a dramatic already, drop off yeah. from there. I mean, even 150 right, yeah, wins for Jacob Degrom, I think, is you know asking a lot of them. That's what he's in his 80s right now and wins, I believe. So, you know, that's all I, and my point isn't necessarily to get into this debate: could Jacob Degrom be a Hall of Famer? But you know, he's kind of on that borderline. And Tom Seaver, I mean, he almost went in unanimously. He had the highest percentage of the vote for a long period of time. So, you know, he's a Seaver's an inner circle Hall of Famer. I understand he didn't spend his entire career with the Mets, but his his formidable years were in New York. Yeah, and it's it's not necessarily his fault that he didn't spend the entire career with the Mets, uh, according to I think most of the fan base. Now I'll I'll pick at you in left field. I I I I understand that maybe over the totality of the career, you can't say Yoan Cespedes accomplished more in a Mets uniform than Cleon Jones, but. If I'm looking at the full package of what a player, I mean, just an absolute game changer in left field in 2015 and 16 as well. And I know some people have a bad taste in their mouth. We haven't seen him play in a year and a half after he gets the big contract. But I'm tempted to go Yoana Cespedes in left field over Cleon Jones. Yeah, I mean, at his peak, he's been the best left fielder the Mets have ever had. You know, what he gave them down the stretch in 15 and then throughout 16 that the Mets probably, I mean, I think you, you can say they don't make the playoffs either season without him. Um, no. And, and so that, that's a pretty sizable contribution that he had in a pennant winning season uh, for the Mets. I just, you know, it's, it's just too small of a contribution uh, over the longer period. I think if you're looking at careers, I, th- I think we're talking individual season. Uh, you probably go with Cespedes 2016 season as the best season for a left fielder in Mets history. Maybe Bernard Gilkey in 96 uh, plays a part yeah, in that. Yeah, that's a big one. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and Gilkey certainly didn't didn't replicate his success uh, in years after that. Uh, but I, I just thought for the uh, – I, I was thinking of it in overarching terms of who, who is the best left fielder in Mets history. To me, that's still Cleon Jones. So that's the guy I have in the lineup. And the other thing that you mentioned, it made me chuckle earlier, this was minutes ago now, and it probably just sounded uh, silly to people, but you, you mentioned the idea of doing it based on individual games. I like, are you putting Eric Valent on an all-time Mets team if you're going individual <laughs> games? Like, have, did you put any thought into that at all, or is that just something that got mentioned? Uh, I, I thought about it the other day for a second, and, and who you know, we'll we'll see how many ideas we need to 
to write about and talk about over the next couple of weeks and months. We got plenty, uh, but it's funny, you know, like a, a story I wrote last year after Syndergaard's game against the Reds, you know, where he hit the home run and won one nothing was, you know, what are what is the best individual performance in Mets history in a single game? Uh, I actually forget what I had as number one. It might have been Tom Seaver's imperfect game. Uh, but, you know, if, if we're talking about, you know, you could say what was the best, you know, if you're making a lineup out of the best seasons of Mets baseball, that that would be interesting also. But if we were picking just the best games, you'd have some weird outliers. You mentioned Valent. Uh, I think it was Joe Foy who had a game where he hit like two big home runs in extra innings for them uh, in a close game. Uh, certainly Edgardo Alfonso would be on that mm-hmm. for the six for six game in Houston. That's probably the best offensive game a Met has ever had. Uh, but I think, you know, that could be a fun thought experiment of what is the best game a Mets catcher has ever had. Is it Piazza or is there a game where Hunley or Carter or, or Jerry Grody did something uh, above and beyond? Uh, so that's I haven't done the research on it. So if you're if you're pushing me that way, but uh, I, I think that could be a, a fun experiment at some point. Well, I'll give you a game where Mike Piazza went above and beyond. And this is something that we will do regularly here because we're going to have to honor the Mets history a bit. And I I thought of an idea. Where were you when? And, And we can connect our Mets experiences. And granted, they don't go all the way back, but... There is the internet, so we can we can mix some things together here. But our personal experiences, you know, taking in certain Mets moments, and so this is what I want to try to do, Tim, and and we'll see if people are into this. But I, I feel like podcast listening maybe has changed a little bit, right? You used to you listen to a podcast at the gym while you commute, you're on the run. A lot of people are at home right now, so I'm going to throw this out there as an idea, and you tweet at at me, at the PD Mac, or at Tim Britton's account, and you tell us if you like this or not. But I'm going to give you a YouTube link, and I'll, I'll tell you what to search on YouTube. You track it down, you know, pause the podcast, and then fire it up, and we'll watch like a Mets, a part of a Mets game together. And it doesn't have to be a whole, uh, you know, uh, two-hour affair. We're just going to find like little five-minute clips here or there that are fun to watch. And, and Tim and I could share our personal recollections of it. I mean, it's before our time. We can obviously get into some other things, but I thought that would be a cool idea if people are listening to this while they're at home and they have the ability to, you know, hit the uh, hit the YouTube link, then well, we could all kind of share in something together, and hopefully there's enough interest there, or even if you are running around, you, you know these games. These aren't going to be wacky games that you never heard of before. They're going to be games that you remember and and know the outcomes of pretty well. So you want to give this a shot tonight, Tim? I, I suppose. I mean, my idea was to draft guys who might get called up from from Kingsport to to hire a ball at some <laughs> point this season. But I, I guess you wanted to do something that people were more familiar with. Yeah, we're going. That's next level, Tim. I mean, you, you dragged me <laughs> to the depths last time around, and now you're trying to just absolutely send me. Forget about the mantle, just into the core of uh, of the the baseball nerddom that is part of this. I mean, I thought I, I'm usually the dorky one in the the situations I'm in, uh, but uh, I, I am the next level, I am the Tim. dorkiest I am the dorkiest person in any room that I have ever walked into, Pete. <laughs> you you have that title, that championship, all the way. All right, so so here it goes. So if you want to search on YouTube, it's uh, it's called Mets Ten Run Rally in 2000. It's by Willow FP. 
I don't know. I found it earlier because I thought of this game. And it's a 3 minute 17 second video. So, boom, go search it out and then we're going to watch it together here. And both Tim and I, do you have it fired up, Tim? Oh yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So I mean this is just this is saved on my computer. I just have it on a backdrop that I watch boom. every, you know, once every look, week or so. The video is terrible quality. It's somebody holding a phone up to the TV of the <laughs> SNY Classic. I mean, this is what we're talking about here. But it's something we can just all kind of share it together. But this game, it was the most exciting game that I was ever at, right? Like, people talk about Shea Stadium shaking, and I wasn't there. I was too young for 86 in the World Series run. This is the only time I went to Shea Stadium, and I felt the stadium shake. And I'll, I'll just give you a little forward. This is my backstory to this game, Mets-Braves, in 2000. It was fireworks night. Now, I'd gone to fireworks night the year before. That was a disaster. A lot of Mets fans remember this game. I think 16-1, to 16-0. Uh, 16-0, Pete. I, oh, I was, was there, terrible. too. I don't, I don't want to get too far. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, you were at that game, too. We had to stay the whole time to see the fireworks. It was terrible. So it was a terrible night, uh, whatever, fireworks, fine. And then the next year, it looked like the same thing. But the other backstory for me personally, Tim, I was in Little League, like Senior League, Babe Ruth League. I was 15, so it was a little old to be in Little League. But, you know, that, that was the edge of my uh, athletic abilities. So I had pitched my team. I had a complete game in Game 1 of the World Series. Now, the way the World Series worked, it was double elimination. We came up through the loser's bracket. So Game 1 of the World Series was an elimination game, and we won 5-4. So then we had the final game, and I would play third base otherwise, but I was a pretty useless player. And it ended up being the same day as Mets-Braves fireworks night. So I had this terrible decision. I had like four memorable days when I was 15 years old. And I had to make a decision between going to this particular Mets game, which I believe was also John Rocker battery night. It was at least that series. Like this was how high the fervor was for these Mets Braves game. John Rocker, after the comments to Sports Illustrated to Jeff Perlman, uh, he had pitched earlier in the series. He didn't end up pitching in this particular game, but it's fireworks night on top of it. And the Mets are down 8-1 to one in the eighth inning, Tim. And I am beside myself. And I said to my dad, I want to leave. I want to leave. I need to get out of here. This is terrible. I let my team down. Uh, they ended up winning the game without me, which is fine. But, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like I made the wrong decision. The Mets let me down. And then came this eighth inning. So we'll, we'll hit play now and, uh, and start this up. And I'll have some of the sound on my computer that will leak through on the microphone so you can hear a little bit of what's going on if you aren't able to, to follow all this. But I was, I was miserable, Tim. Were you at this game as well? Because you were at Fireworks Night the year before. No, no. I, I, was, uh, I was over my friend Mike Rossett's house for a sleepover. Uh, <laughs> it was the end of basketball camp. It was a Friday, as you know. Uh, so we had finished basketball camp. Uh, this was I was between seventh and eighth grade, I believe that. Yeah, uh, and Mike was a Yankees fan, uh, so we had we'd been watching. I don't know who the Yankees had been playing. We watched a little bit of that game because because the Mets game was a blowout, uh, and then we had turned on Baseball Tonight. I had never in my life seen Baseball Tonight before uh, because I didn't have ESPN as a kid. Uh, and I really liked the show, especially the update feature where they'd play the little dun da dun dun dun. And you'd see that, oh, we got an update yeah. coming from Shea Stadium. Let's pause. Pause. Uh, Go ahead. And then, and then you had just 
update after update after update and and mike was like do you want to turn the game i was like no do not change the channel that's bad luck we're just going to watch it via the update uh and you had the update of of uh eventually the the tying hit and then right after that uh the go oh ahead my gosh. so so you didn't even watch it live look at you i mean so, but, yeah, whatever works I mean, I remember being there. My hands were clapping so much they were uh, swollen. So the video kind of started a little later in the inning because it was all walks. It was like Kerry Lightenberg and then Terry Mulholland. They were walking everybody. And uh, I just remember my hands were like swollen. It took a long time for this whole rival, uh, this whole rally to develop. But it, it was fun. Those first, so I paused at 57 seconds if you want to stick with me. But you see, like, Lee Mazzilli rocking in the video so far. Melvin Mora across the plate. I mean, you got some good names here, Tim. I actually I actually got a, a pocket dial from Melvin Mora last week, which what? I've never spoken to him on the phone. But That's I, Jay I called him. specialty. I, I called him for a story last year, left a message. He never got back to me, but then I got a pocket dial from him the other day. I was like, what is this about? And and this is when I was in spring training, and I walked outside. I was like, Melvin? And no, nothing on the other end. It was one of the most disappointing pocket dials of my life. <laughs> what would you have liked to find out from Melvin Mora? <laughs> I have no idea, but I was just like, Melvin Mora decided today was the day to get back to me <laughs> five months after I left a message on his phone. <laughs> One of those guys, man, had a heck of a career after the match. All right, I'm hitting play now at 57 seconds. See, so you have the the big base. I mean, you see people going nuts. I mean, Edgardo Alfonso driving in the runs, clutch moment. And then if I remember right, there's Mike Piazza. Is he the the upcoming at bat here, Tim? Oh, yeah, and I think it might be first pitch. Uh, if if the way All ESPN's baseball tonight presented it, it was definitely first pitch. <laughs> yes, it was definitely I the only first pitch. saw one pitch. Uh, but, well, I, 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 you know, it just was kind of rapid fire there. Yes. Well, all I know is I never saw the baseball. So I was up in the upper deck when Piazza made contact, and I looked at the left fielder to see where it was going to go and if it was going to be fair or foul. And the left fielder never moved. He didn't move at all. So I thought, oh, it's a foul ball. And then, boom, everybody just goes nuts. And I was like, wait, it was a home run? All right. You know, got to go from there. But it's amazing. Like, you know, it's 8-8 eight, eight in this game now. But this stadium was full and silent for hours. It was terrible. And, and a lot of people that go to fireworks night year after year after year, I mean, it, it was not a festive atmosphere. And then out of nowhere came this long, extended rally in this uh in this eighth inning and now here's piazza i did like it's the shot of todd P- pratt uh, i oh, like the yeah. shot of todd pratt celebrating no one on the the midnight the late 90s Mets celebrated better than todd pratt i, I tell you you know something about watching old videos there it is you first pitch you got it oh my god what a laser but it's amazing watching old piazza at bats and I, he had the same cadence, I, I suppose, the same habits every single time he worked up there, like walked up there. Like it, it brings it all back just seeing uh, him. There was never any adjustments. He was a guy like Cal Ripken who was changing his stance and stuff. I mean, it was always the exact same patterns when he was up in the box. And his his stance seemed so simple. It was just like <laughs> this yeah. is you know if if you if you had someone who watched baseball for a little while and said, okay, go up to the plate and stand there and just wait for the pitch. That was what Mike Piazza did. He just, he just like got in a min- little bit of a crouch, stood there, no timing mechanism, really no, no 
wagging the bat or anything. And then whenever he made contact on a, a ball that had a chance to go out, there was that like little lean back uh, as he kind of watched it for a second, mm-hmm. uh, especially on and those the, opposite field ones. The bat would be ones. vertical. Uh, yeah. And, and but, it, you know, it, the, the to little... me, it always seemed like he was swinging a bat that weighed like 40 pounds. I, I don't know what it was about it, but whether it was his follow through, the way he flicked it, it just looked like the end of the bat, like it was a mace, like in uh, medieval times. You, you you know had the stick and then the chain and the spiked ball at the end. Like I feel felt like that kind of physical act was happening when Mike Piazza swung the bat. No, I, I think the bat actually did weigh 40 pounds. I, I think that he, he swung the, the heaviest one. It was 39 pounds heavier than everyone else's. Yeah. I, so, look, I, that's that was our, our idea, my idea. You let us know if that was well executed, if you thought that uh, that wasn't very good, or you, you want to adjust it, or even better, if you did enjoy it and there's another moment that we can watch on YouTube, I don't care what video it is or how low quality it is, whatever. MLB has a lot of games up, too, in the more recent years. Uh, so we'll go back, and as long as it's like five to ten minutes, we'll uh, we'll take it through, and I think this could be could be fun. I mean, something a little different, again, because all of our habits are kind of changing here uh, for hopefully just the short term, and, you know, we'll try to adjust with you and find a way to, to make all of this work. But, uh, but, yeah, you know, the one thing that hurts me telling that story, Tim, and all of that, I've rooted for sports. I mean, my whole life, I've got the Mets, Jets, Islanders, Knicks, I've never seen any of them win. I've never seen a championship, and the closest I came was that Little League team when I was 15 years old. And while we did win, I wasn't there for it to enjoy it, and I've never won anything else in my entire life in a team sport. Well, you won this podcast, Pete. <laughs> that's that's enough. You, you came up with an excellent idea. I don't know. It's not, not doing it for not you? Doing it. No, not not doing a whole lot. All right, well, you you win this same bullshit award with your uh, Andres Jimenez story, so I'll give you the, the same kind of trophy, pat on the back, that you're giving to me. It's ridiculous. You know, that hurt Tim. <laughs> now I'm hurt. All right, so uh, Andres Jimenez, you check out. Tim had a good story on Andres what? Jimenez. We've what? talked about him a little bit. He's my guy. Remember, I drafted him last uh, last episode, so when he comes up, I'll get a point on top of you and be able to take out this bet. Uh, but uh, go ahead, Tim. It sounded like you had something witty you wanted to get in here. What am I supposed to say after after you say I've never won anything in my life? <laughs> you know, it's, it's you're not exactly laying it out for me. Uh, but I'll give you credit on Jimenez because uh, so the last last week of spring training. This is what uh, I'm going to win, doing... Tim. This is going to be it. I'm going <laughs> to win is... this battle between us <laughs> about what players get called up to the Mets at, at some point this year. I'm going to win this. It's good. It's, it's going to come down to like Jarrett Parker over Ryan Cordell, too. Um, Let's get it. So I, I had been working on a, a story about Andres Jimenez. Uh, and then, you know, I, I fly home last Tuesday. Uh, all hell breaks loose basically on Wednesday with, with the NBA postponing the season. Uh, and I'm thinking, OK, like, what can I write now? And I had totally forgotten about this story until we talked about Jimenez a little bit on our podcast earlier in the week. So thank you for drafting him. Otherwise, I might have totally forgotten to write the story that I had done all this work on. So that uh, trophy that so, I gave to you goes back to me now. So now I have two trophies. Yes. Uh, so with, with Jimenez, you know, I thought uh, Gary DeSarcina had some really nice things to say about him. Uh, you know, because it wasn't just that he had a kind of a, a mediocre season in Double A last year. Someone in the comments to the story did rightfully point out 
uh, that a lot of players in AA, like the league-wide numbers in AA, were worse in 2019 than in 2018, which I hadn't quite realized myself, uh, being negligent that way. Um, but in spring training last year, Jimenez didn't carry himself like a confident player. And Di Sarcina, who works with the infielders, said, man, you know, we talked about it early in spring, just kind of delete the memory of last year, come in and be yourself. Uh, and they're, they're really getting a sense of that. He, he loves the way Jimenez attacks ground balls, how low he stays to the ground all the way through, compared him to Omar Vizquel, which I, yeah, I believe is high praise for a shortstop. <laughs> uh, and I mean, like, I mean, that's I mean next level. And, and De Sar- Gary DeSarcine is not someone to take that light. Like, he played against Omar Vizquel for a lot. Yeah. He was a, a longtime American League shortstop himself. Uh, so, so that's not to be taken lightly. Uh, said, you know, he's basically built to field ground balls the way his body is. So uh, we've, we've seen that more this spring, uh, the, the way he's played the position defensively. And then the, look, the Grapefruit League numbers don't look great. I think he was six for 28, uh, two extra base hits, you know, the op- OPS of, of six something. But the, he's shown that there's a, a, a bit more authority to how he's hitting the ball, uh, that, that gap power the other way off some major leaguers on the backfields that, you know, he didn't really have even in double A last year. So I think that's he's kind of rebuilding himself to where he was reputationally at the start of last season when people thought he was the Mets best prospect and a guy who could be on the major league radar, you know, by the end of, of the 2019 season, maybe that gets pushed back now to the end of the 2020 season. But he's a guy who who's more on the radar now than he was at the beginning of spring training. Uh, and that's a nice step for him to take. Him and has shown a little bit of what he can do. And I know Tim, you'll take a look at, some of the abbreviated spring statistics this week. So uh, those of you that subscribe to The Athletic, go to that Mets page, refresh it all week, and uh, you can see what uh, what Tim makes of you know, some of the numbers where we say, oh, don't make a big deal out of those spring training numbers. But at this point, we will. And uh, half the spring training as well as we, you know, again, uh, await real baseball coming back and, and hopefully uh, sometime relatively soon. Uh, we will pick an honorary person for episode number 65 in a moment. But first, there are certain times when you don't want to have to go to the doctor's office to get help for a medical condition. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment as soon as possible. So that's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You'll also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com Mets for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com Mets for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. And we thank you for supporting our sponsors. You can also remember uh, the podcast is sponsor-free at The Athletic uh, as well. But uh, number 65 will be our next episode, Tim, coming at you on Tuesday morning. There's only one player 
Who has ever worn number 65 in the history of the New York Mets, Tim? Uh, let me think about this. Could it could it be a current player? I think it, it's a it current player. It is. It is. It is the G-Man, Robert Gazelman. Yeah. So yeah, are, like are you beard. sure... You are you sure you want to go with Gazelman over any of the luminaries from the fifty and one hundred and twelve loss nineteen sixty five Mets? I'm over the sixties to be honest with you. We got Marv Throneberry in there recently. You know, I I don't know how many early sixties guys I really want to get into. Ron Hunt is a good one, and we got him in before. Joe Christopher had a year. I'll be honest, I did not go back and look at the sixty five Mets and try to determine if there is somebody who is. Uh, worthwhile of giving a uh, a episode to, but uh, did, was there one for you? I don't know if you looked. I, I was like, oh, Robert Gasselman, that's fine with me. Uh, so I, I'm looking now, and uh, hint, there's not really. Uh, highest OPS plus on the team. Uh, this is for anyone. Like, you know, sometimes you have a guy who goes like one for one, so his OPS plus is huge. Uh, highest OPS plus for anyone who took an at-bat for those Mets was 106. It was the 715 OPS of right fielder Johnny Lewis. Highest ERA plus for anyone was Daryl Sutherland in 48 innings out of the bullpen uh, at 126 with his 281 ERA. Uh, you know, he had Warren Spahn pitching for that team at the age of 44, joining Al Jackson in the rotation. Uh, weird, weird team. Uh, Tug McGraw was, <laughs> was decent out of the bullpen. But uh, he would go on to have better and more important years later on, and we will save him for those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're starting to build towards those 69 Mets. We can have some fun in the episodes ahead. But 65 still kind of a eh, dry campaign. So uh, Robert Gesellman wins out. And, and look, I mean, look, Gesellman pitched really big games, important games for the Mets to get them to that wild card spot back in 2016 along with Seth Lugo. So, uh, he he has a spot in Mets history. He's been around for a little bit. So I like his beard, too, again. So Robert Gesellman uh, gets in there. So that next episode coming your way on Tuesday. And uh, Tim Britton, it's always a pleasure. We, we learned a little bit about each other. You're trying to give me fake trophies to make me feel better. And I, I got angry at the time. I apologize. I, I know you're just trying to be a nice guy and do the right thing and make me feel better. And now I have two trophies. So I, I do kind of feel a little better. You're the winner and still champion. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, for Tim Britton, I'll be McCarthy. Take it easy. Adios.